You're listening to Jewish Matters with Rabbi Jonathan Feldman. Good evening. Tonight, as a part of our High Holiday series, we're going to be talking about the power of the shofar. The story is that in the late 1920s and 1930s in Palestine, the Arab population was putting pressure on the British to not allow Jewish prayer. And in 1931, the British issued an edict that you could not blow the shofar on Yom Kippur at the Western Wall because the noise, uh, the Arabs complained that the noise was bothering them. I lived in the old city for a year and a half and there are loudspeakers blaring the Mujahideen, the uh, call to prayer, but um, that was their complaint and the British uh, in, passed a decree saying no shofar. So the young members of Beitar, which was the Jewish activist movement for Jewish independence, they would not hear of it. And they came up with a plan and Moshe Segal, who was a young man at the time, snuck the shofar into the services under his talit. And at the end of Yom Kippur, the, at, uh, the auspicious time, he took it out and blew the shofar. And the British policeman descended upon the crowd. The shofar was passed from hand to hand, but uh, Moshe Segal was apprehended. And they threw him in prison and gave him a six-month sentence. And Rabbi Avram Yitzhak Cook, the chief rabbi of the Jewish community then, uh, said to the British that he was going under a hunger strike and he would not eat until Moshe Segal was released. And sure enough, he was released. In subsequent years, the shofar was still blown. Others were thrown in prison, some of them doing as much as six months' time, some of them with hard labor, and yet they still blew the shofar. This is the Jews' connection to the shofar, which is a deep, emotional, and powerful connection. And I'd like to talk about what is the meaning of the shofar, what are the meaning of all the different sounds we hear, and there are a hundred and all, and... How is it supposed to transform us? What is it supposed to, the experience supposed to be happening on Rosh Hashanah and at the end of Yom Kippur? What is that experience supposed to be? And how is it supposed to transform us as part of the high holiday experience? So, uh, what is a shofar? Shofar is a ram's horn. And now they used to polish them. Now they kind of leave them much more raw to look more natural. And actually, uh, for a shofar, you can use any horn of a kosher animal, uh, except for the cow, because the cow was used in the golden calf. And the rabbis say uh, that which condemns us, the use of the cow as a golden calf, cannot be that which defends us, the blowing of the shofar to bring us merit. But any other animal you can, and in fact in the biblical uh, animal museum, zoological museum in Beit Shemesh, they have a whole room with all of the different type of ibexes and antelopes and all the different types of horns you could blow in the place of a shofar. Uh, The shofar has to be bent, cannot be 
perforated or or even perforated and then fixed. And uh, we blow the shofar on Rosh Hashanah. Why do we blow the shofar? So the most direct reason is because the Torah tells us to blow the shofar. But it's a little more complicated because the Torah doesn't actually say it explicitly. Uh, it calls Rosh Hashanah Yom Truah. And we'll see that a Truah is the, the blowing, um, the trumpeting. And it also calls it Zichron Truah, a remembrance of the Truah. So how do we know this blowing is a shofar? Because, now we come back to Yom Kippur, on Yom Kippur at the Jubilee, every 50 years at the end of Yom Kippur, when all of the slaves went free and all of the land went back to its owners, it says you blow the shofar, and it says calls it there shofar truah, the shofar of the truah. So from, from Yom Kippur, we know truah is done with a shofar. What other truah was there? So in the desert, there was a truah of silver trumpets. And the shofar wasn't just used on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. The shofar is mentioned 72 times in the Torah. And it was used for many different purposes. It was used to go out to battle, to call the people to travel. We will talk about some of those different uses. And also it was used in the times of the temple, Erev Shabbat. Uh, today in Israel, there's a siren that goes off at candle lighting time. So the Talmud says that they used to have several sirens. One went off a few hours before to tell the people to come into the fields. And then one, uh, like today with candle lighting in Jerusalem, is 40 minutes before Shabbat. And they would get up in the, on the tops of the walls of the temple and blow the shofar. And today you can go to the excavations on the base of the Temple Mount. And you see the cornerstone etched into it Beit Latakiah, the house of blowing, which is, we assume, that corner on the top of the walls where they blew the shofar. So, uh, the blowing of the shofar is a very precise set of chords, you could say. Now, I am totally not a musician, I am borderline tone deaf, but I do blow the shofar. Uh, so, we're going to talk about some of those, but you might have experienced that there are times there's a makri, there's someone who calls out the different sounds because there are many different, different permutations and the blower can get confused. And there's sometimes where they will nix the, the blowing and call it again. So it has to be done in a very sustained way. It can't be broken up. And there's a story of Rabbi Dr. Avraham Yitzhak Tversky famous rabbi and psychiatrist. And the story was when he was a young boy, his father was a rabbi, I believe in Denver. And he used to pick up his father's shofar and blow it often. And uh, my kids are quite proficient shofar blowers, even our daughters, because there's a shofar lying around, invariably the children will pick it up, invariably they will enjoy blowing it. So the story was that in Rabbi Tversky's father's synagogue, Rosh Hashanah, they were blowing the shofar, and the guy blowing just couldn't get any more sounds out. And that happened to me once. It's very distressing. And it happened in the synagogue that opens up the side doors. And 
uh, I discovered that the reason it happens is the shofar gets too moist. So I'm always very careful now to make sure the shofar is sitting in an air-conditioned room overnight. But the guy couldn't get a sound out. So uh, the shofar was passed around to a couple of people. One person tried it, another. No one could get a sound out of it. All of a sudden they heard... And everyone was so happy. The service continued. Now, when people blow the shofar, they have a tendency to put uh, the talit over their head. So you often don't see who's blowing, and the people hearing it also will often do that. So no one paid attention. Uh, Somewhat later in the service, it came to Rabbi Tversky Sr.'s attention that it was his 11-year-old son who had blown the shofar. And of course, there was an uproar. He's not bar mitzvah. It doesn't count. They had to blow over. He was rebuked. And after the service, his father called him over. And he said to him, you blew the shofar, right? He said, yeah. Did you know that, you know, you're too young? He said, yes, I knew. But he said, you know, you shouldn't have done that. And he said, yes, I know. And he said, whispered to him, but at least you blew it well. At least you blew it well, he said to him. So the shofar has to be blown exactly. What are the sounds of the shofar? So here is a tekiah. Tekiah is a long, sustained sound. Then the, the in-between sound, it's bracketed. The two tekiahs bracket the trua. Now, the trua is, is this. It's a staccato sound, a broken up sound. And it's even a little more complicated because there's two versions of the broken sound. There's shvarim. Sorry, that's tekia. Then shvarim, broken. And then there's the tekiya, and then tekiya. So what is it meant to be? So the sounds are correlated with different feelings. Tekiya is long sustained. And by the way, the tekiya was used when the people were gathered together in the desert to unify the people, bring them together. So in a sense, tekiah is us coming for the Almighty. We are a person who hopefully has our act together. We have our sense of self and our accomplishments and our feelings on Rosh Hashanah. And then we use the trua. We break it apart. We we, we express our brokenness before the Almighty. We take ourselves apart. We put ourselves in question. And the tekiah was, the trua was also used uh, when the people were about to travel in the desert. That morning, the shofar would be blown. There would be a trua. In a sense, that's dispersing. Brokenness. So the tekiah is the brokenness. And some people say the two types of Trua, the da da da, and the da 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 represent two types of crying. In the book of Judges, uh, 
when the enemy king Sisera was killed, his mother wails a Yavava. And the translation, the Aramaic translation says that is a truah, which is a crying. So it's not just broken, it's also crying. So some people say the first three notes, which are a little longer, is like when you start to heave when you begin, before you even cry, when you're in kind of a hysterical breaking down, you go, oh, oh, oh. and then when a person actually breaks down, they go, oh, and they cry out, they cry, uh, and they wail. So it's also meant to evoke that feeling of wailing, of calling out to God, of brokenness uh, on Rosh Hashanah. So that's the most basic, and just from the very sounds you can hear those correspondences. So that's the most basic idea. But there are many other ideas. Another one is expressed by Rabbi Soloveitchik in his book on the High Holidays. And what he says is, he points out that the shofar is a very strange uh, way to do a mitzvah. What is really the mitzvah? The mitzvah is our breath. It's exhaling. And the word for exhaling is nishima, which is taken from the word, which the word nishama comes from, which means the soul. So the blowing of the shofar is a type of expression of the soul. It says God blew into man the breath of life and he became a living being. So the breath, is an expression of the soul. Many meditations focus on breathing. It's something so basic and yet something that we don't focus on so often. The very fact that we can breathe is really the most essential part of our being, of our life force, of our existence. And the blowing of the shofar in a sense is an expression of the deepest recesses of our soul. And Rabbi Soloveitchik says that there are times where words cannot fully express what we are feeling. And on Rosh Hashanah, we say a lot of words. And next week, we'll talk about all of the words in the Siddur, in the prayer book. And we express a lot of different thoughts and words. But there's a dimension beyond that that we are given expression to with the blowing of the shofar which is really, the sounds are really just the sounds of breath passing through this shofar which will distill them. Now, um, when I was in uh, college, I was at Cornell, freshman year, the first year of uh, finals week, and midnight on the quad in front, in between all the dorms, there are certain nights where it was announced everyone would pour out of the dorms and do a primal scream. What is that? It's really, that's what it is. It's letting out the energy from within us. Except that's just letting out frustration and pent up energy. The shofar is letting out the yearning of closeness to the Almighty, the calling out to God. And there's an idea that uh, where else do we see the shofar? The shofar is mentioned, as I said, 72 times in the Torah. And one of the main foci is at the giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai. It says there was a sound of the shofar very strong and it grew stronger and stronger. Whose shofar was that? 
That was the Almighty's shofar. Now, how does God blow a shofar or make the sound of a shofar? I don't know, but that's what they heard. So in a sense, the shofar was God revealing himself to us. So parallel to that, when we blow the shofar, we strive to reveal ourselves, to open up our hearts to the Almighty. And by the way, the rabbis say that hearing the shofar is the same as blowing. Shomea ka'one. So you don't have to blow it yourself. You can hear the shofar blower and have in mind that I am also expressing the same calling out to the Almighty, the same revealing of myself as a shofar blower. So the shofar is a revelation of like God revealed himself with the shofar. We reveal ourselves with the shofar. There's one other reference to the shofar. When the Jewish people came to Jericho and it had these mighty walls, it says for seven days they circled the walls blowing and they would blow the shofar and on the seventh day they blew a mighty shofar and the walls of Jericho, they came a-tumbling down. So there's an idea that just like the walls of Jericho came tumbling down, when we blow the shofar, we try and bring down the walls that surround our heart. We try and open ourselves up to the Almighty and take away the barriers that we place between us and our hearts and between our hearts and the Almighty. So that's another one of the messages, the symbols of the shofar. There are many. I think Rabbi Sadia Gon, often quoted in the prayer book, says there are ten. I'll give you another one. The shofar was used in the Torah also for a coronation. And there's a psalm, Psalm 47, that we say before blowing of the shofar, God will rise with the truah, and God is king over all the earth. So the theme of God's kingship. And this is uh, difficult to relate to because today in our society we don't have kings. Uh, we follow billionaires in the news. How, how much is Jeff Bezos worth? How much money did uh, Elon Musk lose in the last two days? How many tens of billions? So... Uh, it's a little different than a king, but we understand the idea of power, the idea of people who are powerful. And so the idea is that we relate to the Almighty's power. Rosh Hashanah celebrates the creation. So we are coronating the Almighty as creator. And not just since God is our creator, we also are beholden to the Almighty. So we're reaffirming our willingness to subjugate our will to the divine will. That's what it really means, God's coronation or making God king. It's self-nullification. It's understanding that there are values, there are principles, there are things in the world that are above us and that we have to nullify ourselves to. So uh, that theme is tantamount. And that's really the theme of uh, the shofar. Uh, we read on Yom Kippur the story, uh, sorry, on Rosh Hashanah, the story of the binding of Isaac. And on the second day of Rosh Hashanah, and Abraham brings Isaac up onto the mountain. God tells him, do not touch the child. And instead he sees a ram with its horns caught in a bush. 
and he takes the ram and he offers the ram. So the shofar is a symbolic reminder of Isaac's willingness and Abraham's willingness to go all the way for the Almighty. So that's another aspect of the divine uh, coronation, so to speak, and a way to make it more real and to make it relatable to us of plenty of times where we want to do something, we realize it's wrong and we have to nullify ourselves to something greater, to what's right, to, uh, to the Almighty. So that's why the shofar is bent. It has to be a bent shofar because it represents our being bent before God. And on Yom Kippur, when we tap our chest, we bend over as well. On Rosh Hashanah, on Yom Kippur, we bow down on the floor, also showing our bent, being bent in front of the Almighty and our self-nullification. So, what do we have? We have the breath expressing our deepest, innermost soul beyond words, expressing things that words can't express. We have taking ourselves apart and putting ourselves back together. We have shofar as revelation, God revealing himself and us revealing ourselves. We have the shofar of Isaac and God's kingship. And we have the shofar breaking down the walls around our heart. So these are all some of the things to think about as the shofar is being blown on Rosh Hashanah. Now, you might have noticed that the shofar is blown a lot of times. Why is that? So, because it's mentioned, so each, each unit we blow... So we said that's one unit of tekiah, trua tekiah, or tekiah shvarim trua tekiah. So that's one unit. And we repeat that unit three times, because three times in the shofar talks about blowing the shofar. And then we have to do those three times, which all the, the three different permutations of the straight sound and the two versions of the broken up sound. So we do broken up being shvarim, ba, ba, ba. We do one to being trua, ba, 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 ba. And then we do shvarim trua, which is ba, 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 ba. So each of those versions. So if you add it all up, the three sounds, three times, and three versions, one of which has four times, that makes 30. And so each time we blow, the first time before the silent Amidah, that's 30. Then we do it in the silent Amidah, another 30. Or in the repetition of the Amidah, some people do it, 30. And then at the very end of the service, we do another 30, another one of the series of 30, 30, 30, 30. And then we do the final 10 to round it up to 100. So that's why we have so many times blowing. But the effect of it is that it gives us lots of time to think about it, to internalize it, and to really feel it. And that's really the goal of it, is that the mitzvot are there to touch us and to transform us and to impact us. And the custom is, uh, the whole month of Elul, every morning this month, 
after services we blow the shofar, except for the day before Rosh Hashanah. They want to Rosh Hashanah wanted to be impactful. So all month we've been blowing the shofar and getting this message of opening ourselves up, of reconnecting to the Almighty. And there's a midrash, a beautiful teaching of the rabbis, quoted uh, by Rashi in the Torah, that the shofar of Mount Sinai is the same shofar as the shofar of Isaac, and that will be the same shofar as the shofar of the Messianic times. So what does that mean? So some people might think that uh, Isaac or Abraham stashed away that shofar and they found it a thousand years later, blew it at Mount Sinai. And then in order for Messiah to come, we got to find that shofar. Could be that. That's one possibility. But the Maral of Prague, a uh, great sage from the 16th century, he says that we don't take that literally. The message is that the impetus, the feeling, the uh, willingness to give ourselves over to the Almighty that, a that Isaac exhibited is the same willingness the Jewish people exhibited at Mount Sinai in accepting the Torah and the Ten Commandments. And that's the same impetus that humanity will have to show in order for the Messiah to come. And they said, when that does happen, tikkah b'shofar gadol, that the great shofar will be, sound, will, will, be, will be sounded on that day. And actually, the verse, tikkah b'shodesh shofar, it says that we blow the shofar uh, on the day of the hiddenness, which is the new moon. That's another source, another verse that tells us that the shofar is on, on Rosh Hashanah, the only holiday to be on the beginning of the Hebrew month. But back to the shofar of the Messiah. So it says on the great day, the shofar will be blown. And the story is that in 1967, so the Jews blew the shofar in the, at the Kotel, and then in 1948, sorry, yeah, 1948, after the state was declared in the War of Independence, the, the Jewish people, the state of Israel, lost the old city. The Jordanians captured it. And for, even though religious freedom was supposed to have been respected, for the next 39, 29 years, the shofar was not, was not heard at the Western Wall, at the Kotel. The Jews could not blow the shofar there. And in 1967, when we liberated the Kotel in the Six-Day War, one of the first people to arrive was Rabbi Shlomo Goren, the chief rabbi of the Israel Defense Forces. And he took out his shofar, he blew the shofar, and it says in the Messianic Times, the voice of the shofar will be heard from one end of the world to the other. How is that possible? So, the famous radio broadcast, Harabayit Biyadenu, the Temple Mount is in our hands, and then people heard the sound of Rabbi Goran blowing the shofar and back at the Western Wall. And it's reported that uh, someone else asked to blow the shofar. 
Avraham Eliakim. And he blew the shofar also right after the Kotel was liberated. And someone asked him, why were you so intent on blowing the shofar? And he said, I was the last person to blow the shofar before the Western Wall was taken away from us. Last person in 1947 to blow the shofar. And so I wanted to complete the cycle and to renew it uh, with that continuity. And standing next to him, the person who asked him why he was so intent, that person said, I also blew the shofar here in 1931 and went to prison. And that was none other than our Moshe Segal, who was thrown into prison for blowing the shofar. So the connection of the shofar to the Western Wall is that the Western Wall and the Temple Mount, Jerusalem, is where the Jewish people's renewal occurs. The shofar represents the renewal of the Jewish people and the Messianic vision where all humanity will come together to recognize one God. And so the shofar will represent, remember we said it's unification of the people when the people gather, and it's recognition of the Almighty and acceptance of the Almighty. So that is the great shofar which we learn to hear. And each shofar we blow in Rosh Hashanah is another step in that direction. This year, it'll be even more challenging. Uh, We're trying to figure out in Tel Aviv Will we do services in the park? Will we even be able to do services? There's threat of another shutdown. But whatever the case is, um, in case of that, like on Passover when everyone went on their porches and sang Manishtana, it's already been announced that 11 o'clock on Rosh Hashanah morning, by the way, this year, the first day of Rosh Hashanah is Shabbat. We do not blow the shofar. The second day on Sunday we blow it. And they said, 11 o'clock, everyone should go out on their balconies to blow and hear the shofar. So it's a beautiful thing in Israel. You, you see the unity of the people, that everyone comes out, everyone shares, and everyone's part of this great shofar. Having meaningful Rosh Hashanah to everyone. Next week, we will talk about the structure and the words, how to make the Rosh Hashanah service into a transformative experience. Have a good evening.